0: to just uh, review a little bit real quick. If I can get the clicker, is the clicker on? There we go. All right, so let's just review real quick our Gospel Up acronym. So we've gone through the book of Acts, we've looked for different characteristics of an evangelistically thriving church, so I'm going to uh, throw it out there see if any of you can tell me what is our Gospel UP acronym. Can you remember any of the letters that, uh, well you have the letters right there, can you put the words to the letters, anybody? The first one's pretty pretty simple, Gospel Gospel Centered, there you go. All right, so the next one, Others Friendly, yes. So we're looking at the early church in Jerusalem, and these are characteristics that are gospel-centered. They were others-focused or others-friendly. They were reaching out to others, spirit-filled. Somebody has uh, the outline there, I think. That's good. That's what we're looking for. So spirit-filled. Uh, often in the book of Acts, we see that the speakers, they have been filled with the spirit. All right, Anna, can you give us the next one? Prayerful. Prayerful. Yes, how many times is the word prayer mentioned? The early believers praying together, Uh, environment of growth. There was an excitement about the Word of God, a growing in the Word of God. All throughout the uh, book of Acts, we see disciples being made, growing in God's Word. And leadership examples, we see the leadership of the church uh, getting involved in the work of evangelism. And then also we see a great deal of unity and passion for the believers in the early church. So that is our Gospel Up acronym. Um, Write those down if you haven't. Take a picture. I'll move out of the way if you want. And prayerfully consider those things in your own heart and your life. And ask God how you might uh, implement those things in your life. How you might help our church to take on these characteristics. Because it is indeed our goal to be an evangelistic church to bring people to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. And see a couple more pictures being taken. All right. (coughs) All right. So then we'll go. uh, Last week, we did four words, two men, and two principles. Can anybody tell me the four words, any of the four words that we talked about last week? They all start with W. Witness is the first. Waiting. Waiting. There we go. Yep. So, witness. So we have the uh, uh, responsibility to tell people about Christ. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to empower us, waiting on His leading to guide us. But what's the next one? Working, Working. yes. We're constantly working, being out there telling people about Christ, looking for those opportunities. And then the last one? Winning, yes. So when we do the work, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to bring us uh, people, and we're sharing the gospel as witness, then we will win souls to Christ. Uh, three men, we looked at Peter, Philip, and Paul, and their example, and especially we looked at Paul. Uh, two principles, especially from the Apostle Paul, in witnessing, and do you remember what those two principles were? They both start with the letter P. Passion, Passion was one, yep. He was a very passionate witness. And then the last one? Purpose. Purp- well, the purpose is a good one, but that's not what we talked about. Prayerful is a good one, but again, that's not the point that we talked about. Persuasion, Persuasion, yes. Thank you, Anna. All right, so he was very persuasive in his witness. All right, so today we're going to continue on, and we're going to talk about gospel obstacles. There are many challenges that face us. So what I did was basically just went through the book of Acts, and I just started looking for things that are a hindrance, things that, that are an obstacle to the gospel, and you can write these down. We're going to have a lot of them, um, but let's just, let's just get started here. So first off, obstacles in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, if you're already there, you can look at verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So the disciples are watching Jesus ascend into heaven, and this is what they say to him, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So, gazing. What do I mean by gazing? Well, we as Christians, we look forward to the return of Christ. That is the blessed hope. But if we're not careful, what will happen is we will forget that there's a, a great work to do. And we will just get so caught up waiting on the Lord, and we're just waiting for him to come rescue us from this world and we're glad we're saved and we're just complacent we're content and we forget that there's a world out there that needs to hear the gospel and so we're content just to, to wait for the Lord uh, you even pastor mentioned it in his Thessalonians series you had a group of people they're waiting for the Lord and so why work you know and they were becoming busybodies and and just depending on other people and uh, that's not what God wants he wants us to be busy while he's uh, Waiting, waiting for his return, but also working while we wait. Uh, go over to chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Peter is preaching, or he's about to preach at Pentecost. Um, the Holy Spirit has filled the believers there, and this, they're, they're speaking in different languages, and people are hearing this, and, and they're wondering what's going on. God is doing a great, a great work here. But in verse 13, it says, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. And so you see, uh, here's an a example of skeptics or unbelievers that will oppose the gospel work. We can see this all throughout the book of Acts. I haven't written down all the um, the references, but all throughout the book of Acts, there's opposition from skeptics and unbelievers. There's opposition from, uh, religious leaders. Just flip over to Acts chapter four and verse three. So John and Peter have just been preaching about Christ in the temple. And the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders, they heard about this. They didn't want them doing it. So in verse 3, it says they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, uh, for it was even tight. So religious opposition. Uh, we can see that, again, even today in our own world. Fear, Acts chapter 4. Go over to Acts chapter 4, verse 29. So this is immediately after the apostles Peter and John were released. They were told not to preach in the, in the name of Jesus. They're released. And uh, verse 23 says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Um, So they'd just been uh, reprimanded. Uh, I believe they were even beaten. I, I don't have the verse reference for that. But then drop down to verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So here they are faced with physical Persecution, religious opposition—the um, tendency for, for us would be to, to cower in fear. Okay, we'll stop. We won't rock the boat. Uh, but what is their response? Their response is pray for boldness. Now, gazing and fear—they're both bolded up there uh, because those are two items in these obstacles that we have a we can affect. Those two items, uh, skeptics and unbelievers—I mean, that they're they're going to come. So it's not something that's not really a variable that we can. Uh, change. Uh, religious opposition is going to happen. But the gazing, just sitting around, waiting for the Lord, being lazy, we can change that part. The fear part, we can change that part by praying, asking God for boldness, strengthening ourselves in the Word of God, and, and, and encouraging each other. So, let's focus on, the, on the, those bolded ones so that we can think about how do we overcome those? How do we change those variables? Next one's pride Acts chapter 5 we won't read the whole story but here we have a, the story of Ananias and Sapphira uh, remember the the believers were they were sharing with each other they were selling their goods they were sharing with each other you had a huge amount of people that had come to Jerusalem for the feasts they'd gotten saved they'd become Christians and now they're staying in Jerusalem even though they, they weren't from Jerusalem so you have a whole lot of people they they're looking they need a they need a job but there's probably not maybe as many jobs in Jerusalem as there are people. Uh, so the church is then now has this huge responsibility toward their guests. And so they have to provide for these people, these new brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so people were selling their goods. They're helping to support these, uh, these believers at the church. Uh, who knows, maybe there was some persecution toward others, and, and they're trying to help those uh, fellow believers out. Uh, the point is, though, there, there's a lot of generosity going on. And Barnabas is noted in verse, um, in chapter four, verse thirty-six. He's noted there uh, for having sold land and brought the money to the apostles. And so Ananias and Sapphira apparently they sell some land and they give money because they want recognition, but they pretend that they give the whole amount of the sale, uh, as opposed. But they actually kept back part, and so. Uh, As a matter of pride, Ananias and Sapphira are killed by God. God takes their life because of their pride, because of their deception of of trying to deceive the church leaders. And it says you've tried to deceive God. It's interesting, if you look at the book of Acts, you look at the early church, the one thing that is not tolerated... In the book of Acts, in the early church, one of the things is sin. Sin is not tolerated. The sin of pride was not tolerated in the church. And we can definitely do something about pride. Um, internal discord. Chapter 6, verse 1. And In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So here's what happened. There was a, a bit of discord within the church. There were some ruffled feathers. There were some unhappy people. And what was the consequence? The, the apostles had to leave their work in the gospel to come take care of some squabbling within the church. So when the church doesn't get along, when it doesn't work together, it distracts from the main purpose, from the evangelistic push of the church. So internal discord. I've underlined it because to a degree we can, uh, we, we have a part to play in that. We, we can minimize that, but... Um, you know, it's going to happen. Things are going to come up, uh, but we need to do our best to work through them. Thankfully, in the book of Acts, verse, or chapter 6, they worked through the problem, and it did not stop the church's overall effectiveness. Next, persecution, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, consenting unto his death, so the first martyr, Stephen, has been killed. This is when the, the persecution really ramps up in Jerusalem. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And uh, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So persecution, obviously, we still hear about that today. We see that today in our world. Uh, But the thing is, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So God actually, in effect, used the persecution to expand the gospel. Uh, again, we have opposition within the church. Go over to Acts chapter 11. This is right after when Cornelius, the Gentile, has received Christ. And it's, uh, Peter has been revealed that the Gentiles will be op- welcomed to the church. But what happens? As soon as he goes and meets with these Gentiles, verse 1, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. And so here again, we have an opposition within the church. Ironically, so much of the gospel is hindered from within the church. It's very sad. But so much of the opposition of the gospel actually comes from within so-called Christendom. Uh, So we need to think about ourselves personally. The things that I say at church, uh, the things that I do, do they contribute to discord? Not even necessarily meaning it. Do they, in some ways, hinder the gospel? Like, are we so busy about doing things uh, that don't have a purpose to it, that don't contribute to the gospel? If we get so busy in those things, we're taking away the focus of the church, the leadership, to focus on those things when it should be the spiritual things. So just thinking through some things, are we causing to the distraction, or are we helping to, to move the gospel forward? That's, that should be the main thing for the church. Going over to chapter 12, political persecution, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He imprisoned Peter in this chapter. That's the story about Peter being freed from prison. Uh, So political authority. False prophets. Acts chapter 13, verse 6. Paul and Barnabas are going to Cyprus on their missionary journey. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew... whose name was Bar-Jesus. And in this passage, he tries to withhold Paul and Barnabas, but God prevails over that. Uh, In Titus as well, we see uh, that there are those that want to pervert the gospel. False religion, going over to Acts chapter 14 and verse 11. So Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, they go to these cities who are given over to idolatry. And uh, so they see uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, there's a, a, a healing, a man is healed. And when the people saw that Paul had uh, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, in the speech of Lycanalia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And so their idolatrous pagan religion uh, blurred what was going on, and they thought it was God. So they, they named Paul and Barnabas uh, Jupiter and Mercurius, and, um, they were going to sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas had to straighten that out. But false religion has led a lot of people astray. There's many uh, references to that in Scripture. Business interest, interests, Acts chapter 16 and verse 19. Remember the story? Paul is being followed around by this, one, this young woman who has a demon. And uh, he finally casts that demon out of her in the name of Jesus And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, uh, because she was a fortune teller, uh, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. And so here you have people looking out for themselves, business-wise, hindering the gospel because uh, their gain was lost. You also see that in Ephesus. Remember, I believe it was Alexander in Ephesus, who uh, there's that big... Tumult they had, and and he said, hey, look, these guys are turning people away from the the goddess Diana, and this is how we make our money. This is how we make our living with these statues and uh, things. Um, So business interests can be an obstacle to the gospel. Philosophy of men, Acts chapter 17, you find Paul at Athens. And uh, one thing you know about Athens, they're big on philosophy, just sitting around talking about this, that, and the other. And uh, verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, uh, others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Um, And then later in the passage, some mocked him for preaching the resurrection. So philosophy of man, that can be an obstacle to the gospel as well. Wolves, Acts chapter 24, the Apostle Paul Addressing his uh, friends at Ephesus. Actually, I'm sorry, I think that's actually chapter 20. But the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, his friends at Ephesus. And in verse 29 of chapter 20, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Uh, so these false teachers or these men who are given to personal preeminence, uh, we see an example of this in Third John. Diotrephes was a man who would not receive those that were from the apostles because he wanted to have the preeminence. And so apparently he was a little power hungry and he wanted to dominate over the church. So Paul... Prophesize that these men are going to rise up even from within the church. Again, a, a cause for us to consider our, our own hearts. What are our motives? What are we doing in the church? Are we contributing or are we trying to, uh, for personal motives, personal reasons, um, do things throughout the church? And imprisonment. Chapter 24, Paul was imprisoned, and uh, that did hinder his movement, Missions wise, but if you were in our uh, Philippians series, uh, we saw how the Apostle Paul actually, the Gospels expanded through his imprisonment, but to some degree, he was limited because of the imprisonment. Uh, we see that in Acts chapter 24. Um, he's stuck in, in prison. It says, But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, unwilling to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. And so he's just stuck here in prison. then he's sent to Rome, and he's in imprisonment in Rome for who knows how long. So uh, the imprisonment was a hindrance to the Apostle Paul. So obstacles in the book of Acts. Now, some obstacles outside of the book of Acts. Just quickly, disunity. Jesus prayed in his last prayer for us before he went to the cross. He prayed for us to be unified. That is so important. If we as a church are going to reach the world with the gospel, we have to be unified around that. Senior, the striving for the faith of the gospel as it's put in Philippians. Um, false gospels, Galatians chapter 1, uh, he's talking to the Galatians. Uh, Who hath bewitched you, he even says in chapter 3, uh, that they've gone after another gospel, a false gospel. And there's many of those false teachers out there, we have to be careful Spiritual warfare, one that we oftentimes probably overlook. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following. Put on the whole armor of God because we wrestle not with flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. We, we wrestle with the, the spiritual rulers of darkness. Um, and the way that we combat that is the word of God in prayer. Doubt, Hebrews chapter 2. Actually, Throughout the whole book of Hebrews, the, uh, the writer is addressing Jews who are considering going back to Judaism. They're experiencing persecution, so they're saying, why should we continue in Christianity? Let's go back to Judaism where things will be easy. And so they're experiencing doubt. Doubt can hinder our gospel uh, presentation, our, our effectiveness and then a few more here. Impure religion, James chapter 1, verse 27. What is pure religion? It's reaching to the, essentially what James one twenty-seven is saying, it is reaching to those who aren't going to help you in return, the widows and the fatherless. And then it gives a scenario in chapter 2 of a, a rich man that comes to church, okay? So we have a visitor that comes in the back, and we all go up to him, treat him really nice, shake his hand. Hey, you come sit right down here, nice seat toward the front. And then someone who is not dressed well, they probably smell, they, they, they're a little uncouth. Oh, uh, can we put him in the back corner there? Kind of just, nobody will see him, he won't bother anybody. Uh, impure religion, that can hinder the gospel. Poor testimony as well. Our poor testimony can hinder the gospel when people don't see us as having genuine faith. Uh, Unspiritual lives, Second Peter 1, talks about uh, those elements that, that we ought to have in our life, building on our faith, those things like brotherly love, patience, virtue. Um, when we don't put those things into our life, the Bible says that we are at risk of even ourselves forgetting in a way that we are believers, that we're born again. And so obviously that will hinder our go- our gospel effectiveness. Doctrinal error, Second John, again, Apostle Paul uh, saying... I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. But when we get outside of the truth, obviously we're going to potentially will present a false gospel. So we need to stick to the scriptures. And then Revelation chapter 3. So if everybody would turn over to Revelation chapter 3, please. Revelation chapter 3. And starting in verse 14. And actually this is where I will ask you to stand for scripture reading, if you would, once you get to Revelation chapter 3, if you would just go ahead and stand, and we'll read from verse 14 down to the end of the passage. So, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith, Amen. Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked." I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in the th- in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in His throne. He that hath an ear to hear. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. Please be seated. What was the problem? What was the besetting sin of the Church of Laodicea? It was lukewarm. But what was the underlying problem that caused them to be lukewarm? It was pride. What does it say in the passage? It says, thou sayest, I am rich. I'm increased with goods. And have need of, what's that word? Nothing. Nothing. They had an unrealistic view of themselves. That's what pride is. Pride is an unrealistic view of yourself. And they thought they had all the answers. They thought they had what they needed. Now, it's interesting when you think about the hot and cold scenario. Laodicea was a town that was, it was supplied with water by two aqueducts. So these, these two water-carrying systems. One came from a, a source of a hot springs, and one came from a, a source where the, the water was cold. And so by the time the, the water got to Laodicea, it had mixed, the hot had mixed with the cold, and so it became a lukewarm temperature. And so when you get to Laodicea, you didn't have nice hot water that, that would be nice for bathing or even health purposes. You didn't have a refreshing cool water that would be great to drink on a, on a hot day. You had a, have you ever drank some water that was lukewarm, especially on a hot day. You wanted something really ice cold, and you drink something, and it's just like a lukewarm. What was your immediate reaction? You wanted to spit it out, maybe, right? That's what it says here. That, that's the word picture that is given here in the passage. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Blech. I don't want that. So what, what is this saying about the church? This church is a useless church. Because of its pride. Because of its self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is the sin that is taking down the West. United States, Canada, Australia, UK, Europe. (laughs) We don't need God. We've got technology. We've got I was listening to a video. This guy at Harvard, he was talking about how, um, you know, in Israel, I believe he's a Jewish man, he said, in Israel we've got these desalinization plants. So we have all the water that we want. He's like, hey, if God wants to send a drought, we don't care. We have all the water we want. Think about the pride of modern man and you know what's happened the church has adopted that pride the culture has infiltrated our thinking it's affected the way we think we think because we have money and that we're educated we can fix our problems the church we're, we're hey we, we've got money to pay the bills people to cut the grass. What else do we need? If we're not careful, that is how we will think. And I'm afraid there are far too many churches out there, verse 20, where Jesus is standing at the door. He's not even inside the church. Because of our pride. Pride is an ugly thing. We've got some more obstacles. We'll come back to that pride in a second. Just run through some more obstacles. Leisure. How much time have you spent in leisure this year as opposed to witnessing? Lethargy. Some of us, do we care? Lovelessness. Do we stop to think about people dying and spending eternity separated from God? Love is spelled time. We're very busy in our modern world, and sometimes we don't want to sacrifice time for other people, for their souls. Love is listening. You know, one good thing that we are at Independent Baptists are really good at. We're good at telling people. We have the truth, and if we're not careful, we we try to shove the truth down people, and they're not listening and they're not listening because we haven't listened to them first love is putting yourself in the other person's shoes you know i think one thing that would change our whole outlook on life it would radically transform our life for the positive we would have so many more opportunities to talk to people about dnm's about spiritual things about and really help people in their life If we would put ourselves in their shoes, before you say something to someone, put yourself in their shoes. How would what you're going to say make you feel? Busyness, hurrying, hurrying, hurrying. I'm too busy. I don't have time to witness this person because I have to. I have this appointment. I've got that scheduled. and you know what? We try to fit too much into one day. We try to fit too much into one day. And I get it, there's an urgency about it. But one thing you, you look at the life of Christ was he ever in a hurry? So Jesus knew what he was about, he knew where he was going, why he was going, he knew what he needed to do along the way, he was in tune with the Father. To such an extent, he didn't have to hurry. He knew that God had all the appointments lined up just like they ought to be. This is one that got me, especially earlier this year. I really had to, to work through this one being so busy, so busy that I'm actually missing the ministry God's brought me here to do. Business. We can get so focused on the temporal business. I'm going to the shops to get my groceries. God wants you to go to the shops because he wants you to meet that person on all three in front of the wheat bicks who needs a word of encouragement. We lose focus. We get so focused on the earthly matters, we forget about the heavenly. Bad moods. Sometimes we're just not in a good mood, and that's not ever a good way to, to help us witness. These three, I have to admit, they, they got me up this this Friday. I was busy. I was focused on business. I wasn't really feeling it. And so I passed up an opportunity to witness. And so I had to confess that to the Lord. Lack of intimacy with God. If we're not in God's word, thriving on God's word, praying in, in a joyful deep intimate relationship with him our witness is going to be shallow some of us might be tempted to think well it's not my responsibility I'm just throwing out some of these that I found the Christian bubble Uh, you know I think I I relate to this being at Pensacola Christian College I worked among Christians I worked with Christians I, I lived next to the campus I was I was kind of insulated so to speak And if I wanted to, so if I wanted to make connections in the community, I had to purposefully put it into the schedule. I could have gone my whole week and never spoken to someone, potentially, that was not even a believer. And whatever. So we can get so caught up in our Christian bubble that we don't have any connections, we don't have any friends or, or acquaintances, or that need witnessing to <laughs> because they're all Christian. Jesus interacted with, with the unbelievers. And I understand we want to be careful, we want to protect their testimony, and we don't want to, to you know, compromise like the children of Israel compromised with, with the pagan Canaanites. But we have to make connections if we're going to win people. Uh, most people come to church because they're invited by a friend and uh, most people accept Christ, I think, because they had a friend, somebody that was willing to sit down and show them time and listen and care beyond what would be typical. And then geographical, legal, cultural, educational, economic challenges. Now, I know I'm just dragging this on and on. So why so many obstacles? Why bring up all this bad news? and uh, well, for one reason, to highlight the fact that we need God, we need God to do this work that He's called us to do in reaching people with the gospel. There are so many obstacles out there. We cannot do it apart from God. What's the biggest obstacle, though? Our sin. We looked at Revelation chapter 3. We looked at the pride aspect. But the only obstacle, really, when you think about it, the only obstacle that's going to stop the church is sin. Let's look at a couple of uh, passages. Uh, we already looked at Acts chapter 5, the pride, Ananias, and Sapphira. That sin was not tolerated in the early church. God was not about to tolerate sin in the early church and to quench his working there. We looked at Revelation chapter 3. It's uh, one of the biggest problems for our church today uh, in, uh, in the modern Christendom. Think about pride specifically. Pride is such a, a horrible sin, and it, its effects are detrimental. Uh, it was pride that changed angels into devils, it was humility that makes men as angels. We need to have that humble spirit if the Lord's going to work through us. Pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grow. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, but for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. So if you find yourself not being grateful, consider that uh, you might have an issue with pride. There are two kinds of pride, both good and bad. Good pride represents our dignity and self-respect. Bad pride is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. Do you find yourself looking at other people in the shops or at work, or, and you think that, oh, I'm better than this person? Do you ever catch yourself with that? Uh, by the way, I don't, rec- I don't endorse you know, everything, but I think that these authors or, or quotes do have some merit to them. Um, here's some Bible verses. God hates sin. Six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look is the first one. God hates sin. Uh, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy in an evil way. In the forward mouth do I hate. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. The, The thing is, if we have pride in our church, pride will be punished. God says, Everyone that has a proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He's, he's not going to allow pride to go unchecked. Oh, surprise. Just making sure if you're awake. Though Through pride, we are ever deceiving ourselves. Pride is so deceptive. If you find yourself right now bristling thinking, oh, what's he going on about pride, all this pride, blah, 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 pride, and you find yourself pushing back against it, you're probably actually the key uh, candidate to be struggling with pride. Uh, But deep down, below the surface of the average conscience, a still, small voice says to us something is out of tune. Why? Why is something out of tune? Because we all struggle with the sinful human nature. We all know that there's something wrong. And I don't even think Carl Jung was a Christian, a man's pride can be his downfall, and he needs to learn when to turn to others for support and guidance. You know, one problem that we face in church as well is we all put on our Sunday dress. We all put our, our best foot forward. We want people to think that we have the perfect life, right? That we don't, we've got it all together, and we're hesitant, to open up and tell people when we need help. Did you know this? When you are cloaked, when you're hesitant to ask people for help, it means you probably are struggling with pride. Because you don't want people to know the truth of it. Pride makes us artificial, but humility makes us real. Here's a good one. In general, pride is at the bottom of all great mistakes. At the bottom of sin, you're probably going to find pride. God judges it. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. A high look and a proud heart in the plowing of the wicked is sin. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Now, this is an interesting one from Ezekiel. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. We all know Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What is the sin that we typically associate with Sodom and Gomorrah? What does the Bible say? What was the iniquity? Pride. Fullness of bread. And abundance of idleness was in her. And in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Hang on. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You see the correlation there? The iniquity of Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, wealth, abundance of idleness. How many people in Australia can live and be idle? I'll just leave it at that. God dealt pretty harshly with Sodom. We better look out in today's, today's culture. But even the church... Are we we doing any better? Pride causes problems. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised wisdom. Uh, Most arguments, what is the cause of the argument? A lot of times it boils down, by the time that you get into it, really, the argument's not the argument. It's really the fact that so-and-so, there's a, a personality clash, emotions get involved. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. This comes from Obadiah 3 to to the nation of Edom. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? They thought that they had such a magnificent fortress that nobody could take them. And it says, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Pride has a way of deceiving us. Pride has a way we don't even see it. Sometimes. So we need to ask the Lord to reveal to us, do I struggle with pride? How do I struggle with pride? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Pride is a worldly thing. It has no business being in the church. He that is of a proud heart stirth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. What was the recommendation for the Church of Laodicea? They're struggling with pride, with self-sufficiency. The recommendation was, you need to come back to the point of putting your trust in God. It says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, anoint thine eyes with I eye salve. He's telling them they need to come to a proper perspective of their spiritual condition, and stop being so self sufficient. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, and be zealous therefore and repent. I want to ask you tonight, do you struggle with sin? Okay, all of us do, if we're honest. Do you struggle with pride, specifically? Again, if we're honest, we all do. Because that was really at the root of the, the, the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve. Pride. They wanted something that God did not want for them. They put themselves first. So can I ask Calvary Baptist Church for us to seriously, to soberly pray and ask God to deal with our sin, to help us to hate it the way he hates pride, the way he hates sin, personally, but collectively as a church. That we would all come to this point where we are putting our trust in the Lord. We're not relying on self to do His work in this community. We're not relying on our financials. We're not relying on our resources, our own wisdom, but we're trusting in the Lord. The promise is, he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be fat. There is a blessing associated with faith in God, with trusting in God. But first, we have to really come to grips and look deep down within with our sin. What's the biggest obstacle? It's sin. Remember the story of Balaam uh, and Balak. Balak, the king, wanted... Uh, Balaam, the, pro, the, the soothsayer, to come curse the nation of Israel. Remember that? And he's, uh, he's because he's, he's nervous about Israel, they're getting too big, they're too powerful. And three times, Balaam goes up and he says, hey, look, i got to say what God says. And he blesses Israel instead of cursing him. He actually blesses them. And Balak, by the, the last time, he's just like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. He's getting so frustrated. Quit this. But what did Balaam do? Because Balaam said, look, I can't, whatever God says, I have to say. Revelation chapter 2, go to verse, verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Immediately after the three times that Balaam blesses Israel, we find Israel committing fornication, sexual sins with the people of Moab. Revelation chapter 2 tells us why. Balaam had told Balak, Look, I can't curse Israel because God says I have to bless them. But here's the thing. Balak, if you're scared about Israel, if you want to bring Israel down, God's judgment on Israel, get them to sin. Then God will judge them. What was the only thing that was going to stop the nation of Israel from doing what God wanted, from from taking the promised land? What was the only thing? Go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 as we we look to close. Remember uh, Jericho? They they take the city of Jericho. The walls fall down. And they have a huge victory. Chapter 6. What happened though at the end of chapter 6? Do you remember? A man named Achan. He took of the spoils, the the goods, the the garments, the, the gold. They weren't supposed to take that. God said not to take that. So they took what they weren't supposed to. Verse 1 of chapter 7, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and ang- the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So then they go up to little Ai, right? I don't know. What, it was just a few thousand people. There, a few, so they sent up, I think, 3,000 They sent 3,000 men. Ah, that 3,000 men should be able to take that little city. And they got thumped, right? They lost 36 men. And then Joshua and the the people, they go moaning to God God, why did you let this happen? And he says, What are you doing? There's sin in the camp. What was the only thing that was going to stop Israel from taking the land? It was sin. Matthew chapter 16. One more passage. Matthew chapter 16. Starting in verse 13, we have the passage where Simon Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? Matthew sixteen thirteen, And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he saith unto them, Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bert, Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my Church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's the only thing that's going to stop the church? You know, it's actually interesting if you look at that phrase, the gates of hell. Oftentimes, I have looked at this from a defensive posture. The gates of hell, the the authority of hell is not going to take the church over, it's not going to defeat the church. But do gates ever attack anybody? What are gates part of? They're part of cities. They don't move. Is the gate are the gates of hell coming after the church? No. We, the church, are on the offensive. And with the help of God, not even the gates of hell can withstand the gospel. Isn't that pretty powerful? But what's the one thing that will stop the church? Uh, Brother Rick, I have those handouts. If you could... This is maybe a little bit of a bold thing to do but it's something that that I use and I think we might might be a few short, but I'll have to. Um, actually, girls, would you mind handing these? Okay. Yeah. So basically, what this is meant is uh, just a way for to evaluate your personal life, evaluating starting with your heart. Uh, this is something I do as I think through my life. Where are the sins in my life that I struggle with? Think through our, our attitudes, our belief, choices we make, decisions that we make. Do they are they godly? Our emotions do they line up with? with the Bible. So this list here is just a way for you to, to go through mentally and think about where you are personally. Your your mental activity, is your thinking, the way you think, is that scriptural, biblical? Your thoughts, are they pure, are they godly? And so it just kind of works through that. You can add to it, you can take away from it, but I want to encourage you. Right, we're coming up on the, the end of the year, a lot of holidays and stuff like that. Maybe... Take some of your time away from work if you have an opportunity to get with the Lord and really come to grips with how He sees you. The children of Israel going into AI, they didn't even know, they were clueless. And we have a lot of blind spots in our own lives, personally and spiritually. That we don't even see. That is meant to be a checklist to ask you to, to help you work through, to think through. Do I have pride? Do What are my sins that I need to get rid, rid of? Because that will be key if we are going to reach the gospel out into the community effectively. And... Uh, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be overly down on this, but if you notice under the mouth section of that, there is a, it's called sarcasm, and it's got a question mark. I know that we have a lot of, in the Western world anyway, there's a lot of sarcasm. And I don't, I'm not saying that it's always sinful. But I, to drive home the point that we have to be willing to look in areas that are uncomfortable We have to be willing to really go to to town and ask God something that I would never consider to be wrong. Is that wrong? Could it be hindering my spiritual development, my walk with you? I looked at an article last night. It's called Battling Sinful Sarcasm. And again, I'm not just throwing out a blanket statement, sarcasm, sinful. Um, I have several copies here. I'll put them out in the back if you want to grab one. I thought it was well done. I thought it's reflective to think about. Uh, to think about our the way we talk. So I want to give you those resources, and I, I hope that you'll use it and that you'll ask God, what are the sins that I don't see? What are the sins that are keeping us from being effective to the purpose of reaching this world with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time again. And I pray that you would take the word of God and penetrate our hearts with it, even tonight. Lord, you've given us a space of several hours this evening How are we going to use it? Father, are we going to use it for you, or are we going to use it to reflect on your word and what you have brought to us today, reflecting on the morning message of of Christ coming, or even right now of, of dealing with our sin? Father, it's uncomfortable. It's humbling, but Lord, the reward, if we will do things your way, nothing can stand against us and against the cause of the gospel. Pray to help us to come to grips with that so we can see your blessing, just as the nation of Israel did when they obeyed you. And pray this all in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, shall we close with a closing hymn?